And so yeah, last week, talking about abundance and scarcity, this week, I'm just going to wrap that up with a parable. I'm a big fan of the guys at the Bible Project, Tim, Tim Mackey and John Collins, and they did recently a four-part series on generosity. And on one occasion, John Collins made the comment that in studies past, they've talked about how power can be very good. God gives authority to people to do certain things, and power given is a gift, and it, but it can do bad things to people. You know that old phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Then he began to do a little thought verbal experiment. If an abundance of power can be bad, what about a, an abundance of abundance? What about an abundance of blessing? That sounds really good, but can it turn sour really fast? What happens to people when we are overrun with abundance? You've seen it happen if you've got little kids at Christmas time under the tree, haven't you? You've seen it happen with people on Black Friday. It's incredible some of the video that comes through. No more commentary. It's just when there's too much to be had, it can do really weird things to people. And you're in the back going, hey, I think there's probably enough for everybody. But nobody's acting that way. Abundance does really strange things to people. And they, they planted this seed in my mind and they started talking about this problem of abundance in the, in the context of a party. And I took that thought and I spun this parable. And so what I'd like you to do is just, as my um, kindergarten teacher used to say, put on your imagination caps and just think through this with me. Visualize this scenario with me. Let's just say you and a friend have been invited to a dinner party where the host says, you don't have to bring anything, just bring yourselves. Aren't, that's your favorite kind of party to go to, right? Don't bring anything, just yourself. And um, be my guest, you, you show up to this huge house with a friendly and generous host, and you and your friend um, are there at the front, and the, the master of the house comes and says, Welcome. Mikasa Sukasa. Make yourself at home. Anything in here is, is yours. Let me show you around. And what you see when you enter this grand house is food of all types on every table. There's candy dishes everywhere, snacks in every room. There's drinks of all sorts and trays throughout this large house. Music is playing, art on display all over the place, huge windows streaming, warm sunlight. Can you picture it? Outside, there's a swimming pool and a hot tub ready for you. And then he says, oh, out back, there are barns out there and there are horses that are all ready. If you want to go riding, you just go right ahead. And then if you're not a horse rider, if you want to go to the garage out there, that big old outbuilding, there's dirt bikes and four-wheelers and, and Jeeps. You can go off-roading. You see all those hills? You see those mountains back there? You can just go right out there, and you can just do all kinds of, of off-roading if you want to. And if, if you want, there's actually a helicopter sitting over here on the helipad. You know, it's, it's got auto, autopilot. Just push a button. You get in there and just take a ride. You can just go all, you know, fly all around here, and it's just all free. Free, free, free. 
And if you want, there's a bowling alley in the basement, complete with snack bar, popcorn machine, and soda fountain, and it's all for free. The party is all for you and your friend. Resources are unlimited, and everything is a gift of a very generous host. The master of the house, he's welcoming you himself. He knows you personally, and you and your friends spend long hours with him. It's very obvious to you he loves you. He cares for you. He wants all the good things that he has to give. He wants them to be yours, you to enjoy all of his company, all of his gifts. And he's very pleased. He's very pleased to have you in his home. And you can go outside and you can wrestle with the tigers and pet the lions and the bears. Oh my. And you can enjoy the, the squirrels on the deck with the hummingbirds. You can feed them out of your hand and enjoy the breathtaking view of the balcony that's just outside your bedroom. But there's just one thing. He said downstairs in the dining hall, in the main dining area, on the huge banquet table, there is a chocolate fountain. Have you seen one of these? It's amazing. It stands about four feet tall, and there's chocolate, you know, melted chocolate, and it's flowing out there, and there's around the bottom, there's this huge amount of strawberries, huge, juicy strawberries all around the side of it. And he says, <clears throat> don't touch that. That's off limits. In fact, if you touch a strawberry, or even if you put your finger in the chocolate, you have to leave the party and you'll die. Okay, so now there's some tension in the room. But it's okay because he says, you know, all this other stuff is for you. Everything else that belongs to me belongs to you and it will never, ever run out. There's endless supplies of hors d'oeuvre trays and you know those little those little uh, sausages and the biscuit dough and you know you can put in the barbecue sauce trays full of them they'll never run out everything is for you just don't touch the chocolate fountain the weather's great the sun is warm the mountains are beautiful and there's peace and harmony and then you're enjoying yourself one of the servants of the house comes to you and your friend and says, hey, how are you doing? Are you liking your stay here so far? And you say, yes, it's great. This is a beautiful place. I love it. The food is great. The, the outside is beautiful. It's wonderful. And he says, that's really one. That's good. I'm so glad. But I have a question. Did the master of the house actually tell you that you couldn't eat any of this food? And you're thinking, that's a stupid question. Of course he didn't say that it could, we couldn't eat any of this food. But, you know, you try to be polite, and you say, well, no, he, he says that we can eat any of this stuff that he's put out here for us. And you begin to think, what, did I miss something? Did, why is he asking me this? There's doubt already planted in your mind. And in the middle of processing this, you, you finish your answer, and you say, well, he did say that I wasn't supposed to touch the chocolate fountain in the middle of the dining hall, or I'll die. And the servant looks at you with kind of a grin and just a, oh, kind of an innocent laugh. And he, he says, oh, I'm sorry about that. You, you won't die. Really? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how that came across wrong, but who puts a party like this together 
and then put something like that in the middle of it that's potentially fatal. That's bad manners. No, 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 no. What the master of the house really meant was, if you have a strawberry, if you dip the chocolate, then you're going to be more like, you're going to be like him. And you'll know good and evil just like he does. And to the extent that you can make it yourself, you can define it for yourself. And he really, I won't tell you this, but he's holding out on you. It's okay. Go ahead. So your friend, who is now standing next to you, and for some reason now you're in the dining hall and the chocolate fountain's right in front of you. Funny, you weren't there a minute ago, but now you're here. And you, she sees that it's really yummy. All these wonderful, huge, juicy strawberries. It's perfect. And she sees that it's very pleasing. And maybe what the servant says is true. Maybe, maybe the master of the house really is holding back on us and he doesn't want everything to be ours. He, well, this guy says it's okay. Well, I like strawberries. So maybe I can just, maybe I can just, I won't eat it. I'll just taste it, you know. And so your friend, she takes one and she eats one and she gives one to you and you eat it too. And before you can swallow, before you can wipe the chocolate off your mouth, you have this sickening feeling in your gut. And this darkness comes over your mind and you know. You know you've blown it. You've completely disrespected the master of the house. You've ignored his very clear orders. You've despised his abundant generosity. You've not trusted in his wisdom. And everything changes. The lights go out in the dining hall. And you and your friend are thrown out into the hallway and you hear slow, heavy footsteps coming and you realize, oh, here it comes. <laughs> We're in trouble now. And you try to hide behind a big tree <laughs> that's in the hallway and you hear the voice of the Master and He just says, where are you? So what ended up happening is you and your friend got thrown out of the dining hall the door was locked and guards were actually put in place. And the master informed both of you what the party's going to be like from here on out. He sits you down and he says this, Okay, look, you're still going to have access to the kitchen. You can make all the food. You can make all your own food. The gardens are yours to grow your own vegetables, roots, berries, but you'll have to fight weeds, thistles, and bugs. The beehives are yours, but you'll have to battle disease. Most of the house you'll have access to, but you'll have to take care of it. The orchards, the groves, the vineyards are yours to harvest fruits and nuts and grapes, but you'll have to battle mold and frost. And the pastures are yours, full of cattle and sheep and goats, but you'll have to battle the predators that are now loose in the land. And the swimming pool and the hot tub, you can use them. They'll take a lot of extra time and money for you, and they'll be a kind of a hassle, but you can have that if you want. And by the way, the bowling alley is entirely off limits until somebody else invents that much later in your future. Basically, the party can continue, but we are on much different terms now. Much of the abundance of the house and the land are yours, but there's a shadow on all of it. But the master says, don't worry, I have a plan that will bring peace and justice and order back to all of it. And I will deal with the servant that deceived you. 
And one of your descendants, in fact, will crush his head, but not before he strikes the heel. Fast forward, several generations of partygoers. Now imagine you're a very different person in, uh, that gets invited to what's left of this party. The master of the house is still the generous host. The kitchen is still busy with food prep. The vineyards, gardens, and orchards and pastures have seen better days, but they're still producing the meat, fruits, veggies, and wine. The master still maintains the structure he made in the beginning, although it's not quite as perfect. In fact, it's far from perfect, but it works for the partygoers. We're still paying for the mistake, the outright sin of rebellion that the first two partygoers made so many years before, but the partygoers today are a very different group. In fact, the house that was once grand and glorious is hardly recognizable. The grounds, the once lush and green, manicured and pristine, are sectioned off by long rows of razor wire to meant to indicate where certain people are allowed to go and who shouldn't be in there and who can't be in there. Things are locked up. They used to be unlocked where there was no lock at all. Now there's off-limits for certain people. And upon entering the house, you're taken to a very large living area that has a few people in it. And against the wall are huge stacks of trays full of snacks and foods, hors d'oeuvres, and there's boxes of food in the corner, yet unopened, and there are these large white things, white boxes called refrigerators, meant to keep extra food for long periods of time. These folks have control over large portions of the orchards and the fields, and they don't seem to be enjoying themselves very much. It's like they forgot that there was a party going on given by a generous host, a master of the house. Some even have wondered if the so-called master even exists anymore. Others believe very strongly the master still is, and is very real and generous and good. To them, what you mostly heard them talking about, though, were the people down the hall who were constantly asking for food. And there are lots of people in that room down there. Lots of people. In fact, it's pretty packed and uncomfortable in that room down there. They don't have access to the kitchen most of the time. And they're not allowed to gather in the fields or gardens very often. And every once in a while, there's a fight that breaks out in the hallway or out in the field. These, these groups, and there were lots more of them all throughout the house, would argue about who got access to the never-ending water the never-ending food, the never-ending snacks that the master provided. The party wasn't a party anymore. And most of them forgot how it ever started. And after generations of this party going on, the problem of abundance started presenting itself in the ways people resort to self-preservation. They're still living in a world of abundance, but they don't see it that way anymore. They've developed a limited perspective out of fear and mistrust, and many see the world as now not enough. And so they try all the harder to gather all they can and hoard that abundance for themselves in ever-increasing amounts and in looking after the felt needs of their family or their tribe or their nation, they try to look responsible, even noble, to work, to gather the surplus and save it, though there may have been people who have been pushed to the edges of not enough. Too bad for them, but we have to take care of our own. So, this is the shape of the party when you show up. When you show up and you know 
You know it's a party. It was meant to be fun. It's not fun anymore. It's meant to be hosted by a very generous host, but many of the partygoers don't even recognize there is a host anymore. They think they own the place. They operate as if it's theirs. And they abuse it for their own purposes. And they keep other guests from enjoying the things that they want to enjoy. Because there's not enough for everybody. And so what do you do? You try to convince them. Will you help them remember what the party was for? Who started this thing in the first place? Why it matters and how to get the party started again. And then you see a different character. He ends up being the son of the master of the house. The master knew it was time to bring order and peace and so he sent his son into the middle of the party. Time to correct some things. Time to get some injustices set straight. And the master sent his son to teach these very unhappy people the way of the party. So what does the son do? Well, he acts like the master, the very gracious and generous host of ages past. He provides an abundance of food where there was only one boy's lunch. He went to a wedding that ended up running out of wine, and so he gave them lots more. He filled the net of a fisherman who hadn't caught anything all night long And he pulled money out of the mouth of a fish just to pay somebody's taxes. Wouldn't that be nice? He gave love and attention to people who were forgotten and rejected from the party. He gave an abundance of healing where there was only sickness. He gave mercy when no one else would help. He confronted the evil that got the party derailed in the first place and he freed people from that evil. And he confronted those who were hoarding the party and challenged them to share, he washed the feet of his friends and he told them to serve others. And he provided life again and again where there was death. He taught people about the master of the house. He called people to love each other, forgive where they'd been harmed, seek peace between all those who were invited to the party, which is everybody. And he warned against stockpiling trays of snacks. (laughs) That'll mess you up. If you try to hoard all that, it'll just turn you mean and selfish. He said, pay attention to the good things the Master has given. Look at birds. They don't worry about stuff like that. Look at flowers, how they're dressed so wonderfully. But yet, you know, they're just flowers. Don't you think that the Master will provide for you in the same way? So, he says, think about all this in light of a good, gracious, abundant Master. Act like Him. So, you know all this stuff you've got piled up over here? You get rid of some of that stuff. It's, it's, it's messing with your soul. It's causing you to act really weird. When you see the world in terms of scarcity, you don't own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. And you should only serve one master. You can't serve both God and money. And he said to follow him and walk in his ways, and do as he did. Well, the people who had seized control over what they thought were the most important parts of the party, they got tired of listening to him. They didn't want to listen to him anymore. They got defensive and afraid because the son was telling them to give the party back to everyone. Start having fun. Don't you realize this was supposed to be a party? 
Well, they didn't want to have fun. They were all about power. And so they killed him. They nailed him to a beam of wood, and he died. But it turns out that his death wasn't, wasn't just something taken from him. It was an ultimate act of generosity. He didn't just have that taken. He laid his life down as a gift to point to the way of the Master. And to prove his point, the Master generously gave life to the Son and raised him from the dead. And now we're moving from my parable to real life, haven't we? But I want to finish with one of Jesus' parables. Matthew 22, the first 13 verses. Parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding banquet's ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets, gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So notice very quickly, the king wants to throw a big party in honor of his son's wedding. He sends servants out to invite certain people, but they make up all kinds of lame excuses and they get mean and nasty. And so the king says, fine, I'll invite everybody. And so the wedding party was filled with guests. But there's attention given to one person coming in not wearing wedding clothes. Now, there's all kinds of ways that people have understood this. Here's a couple very common things. Now, there's, there has been speculation that in ancient times, when a king or a rich person would give a party, they would hand out robes or coverings that you could wear while you're there to cover your plain clothes. Or if you didn't have any fancy things to wear, you could just wear what the host gave you to wear. And this guy didn't want one. Or, people have understood the wedding clothes as a man just didn't tidy himself up. He didn't dress up in his best. He just wore a soiled old work clothes to this really grand thing and disrespected the host. Or others just let the symbolism speak for itself. The man was not covered, not wrapped in the righteousness that Jesus gives. Regardless, he walked into this party on his own terms, in his own clothes, wrapped in his own righteousness, and we know Isaiah calls our unrighteousness filthy rags. The king had already had enough of being ignored and disrespected. He had that man thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Look, Jesus saw this world as a place of God's goodness and abundance, a place designed for generosity and peace. And as his people, we are the agents of that peace to a fearful and grasping world. People who have never been told there's enough in Christ. There is enough. If you went to your family's Thanksgiving, imagine maybe some of you have a large extended family gathering. And if you went to that gathering and there was all kinds of food in abundance there, but you noticed that your brother's family was over there and they were taking all the turkey. That's weird. No, no, no. No, the turkey's for us. You can't have any. Yeah, but there's 20 of them out. No, the turkey's for me and my kids right here because there might not be enough tomorrow for us. Your brother might not be your favorite, but he's not going to act like that. But that's exactly what our world has done. That's exactly what some of us in the church have adopted as our mindset to the world around us. We're fearful and we're, we're saying, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. It's hard on the phone in the church office sometimes because people call for all kinds of reasons. And sometimes we have to say, I'm sorry, we don't have a way to help you. And it irks me every time because I want there to be a way to help. I want there to be real help. I don't want to just pay your light bill. I want to be able to have a conversation with you about Jesus and maybe I should just change the subject to say, you know what, how about you come in and we'll talk about Scripture. You don't, because what you really want, what you really need it's not your light bill paid. You really need a relationship with Jesus. But that's not what you want right now. And so there's cynicism that happens with, with us sometimes. Because we've seen people work us. We've seen people work the system. We've seen people abuse the party. And we say, no. Nope. There's not enough. But there is enough. There is enough love for everyone. There is enough forgiveness. There is enough joy to be had. There is enough peace and life in Christ. And there's a family that they can belong to in this place. And there's a purpose that will give them much more abundant fulfillment than having their immediate need met. But in order to be a happy participant in the party, we must first do two things, at least. One is acknowledge the master of the house, the creator of all things, as Lord, and we follow him and we trust in his ways. And two, unlike the man who came in not wearing wedding clothes, we need to put on Christ. We need to walk around wearing the character of Jesus and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to us as well in time and in the right proportion is receive the generous gift of forgiveness, receive a right relationship with God, and as Scripture says, be in Christ. And if you've not done either of these, you can't be in the party. It's not because he doesn't like you. It's because there are certain terms that he's set. Don't touch the chocolate fountain and listen to my son and follow him. If you're not doing that, you're living outside the kingdom and you're living by your own rules and by the wisdom that you've rejected the Creator and His salvation. So what I need to do is invite you to a conversation of Scripture and prayer if you're outside 
of a relationship with Jesus. Religion won't do it for you. Moralism won't do it for you. Rule following won't do it for you. Being good won't do it for you. It's got to be in repentance and confession as your Lord, as Jesus as your Lord, being buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. This is what we're called to. This is the good news that Jesus brought. Let's live in that.